Casey Hendrickson. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank the MNC Nation for tuning in as well? Uh, Congressman Rudy Yaka will join us in about an hour from now. I got to talk about Maui. Um, this is this situation is. Let me back up because all of these situations end up being really government's fault, and it seems like there is an increasing number of these situations that could have been far less dramatic. And less tragic had government simply done the job that they were supposed to do. And with increasing frequency, we find out that a lot of times these things are so severe because the government was pushing some mythical global warming nonsense. And it really serves, it serves two purposes for them. You know, one, they get to tell everybody in between tragedies and awfulness that they're doing everything they can to save the planet and then when there is a tragedy and it's worse they get to say see uh, man-made global warming made it worse technically climate change global warming whatever they're calling it these days did make it worse but not the warming of the planet because you use aquanet or drive an suv but it made the problem worse because the government didn't do what they were supposed to do in the name of climate change and then we get a lot of people who are dead. And the number is is going to go much higher than it is now. I think we stand at 111. Uh, many of them children again. Cue my audio, please. I'm going to play you Maui Emergency Operations Chief Herman Indaya. He is at a press conference. There's other individuals there. I think that might be the mayor behind him. I'm not 100% sure. No, I don't think it is. I don't think it's the mayor. Everybody's just saying it's another official. I don't know who it is. There's somebody standing behind. There's people all around, but there's somebody standing behind him. The video is important for you to watch, but obviously I can't show you the video. He's explaining why they didn't sound the alarms, because, of course, people in the area are like, you didn't sound the alarms, and people had no chance to get out. Now, I've kind of highlighted how fast wildfires go as somebody who's from wildfire country. Um, got a little knowledge in this, not much, but a little. And you can't outrun these things. And you certainly can't outrun them when there's 80 mile per hour gusts of wind. And I know that on TV and things like that, it looks like it's pretty slow. And I think most people probably think that they can outrun a fire. You can't. You can't outrun these things. And so a lot of people who waited too long were surrounded and then they were They were killed. Many of the bodies, again, as we heard from the uh, first responders who were continuing the search, many of the bodies were found huddled together as a family in a room in the house with nowhere to go. So, again, this is the Maui Emergency Operations Chief, Herman Indaya, defending not sounding those alarms. We had originally thought for several days that the alarms malfunctioned much like they did when they gave off the false nuclear threat alert. Turns out that was not the case. It was a decision by the government to not turn the alarms on. And here's his justification for that. Do you regret not sounding the sirens? I I do not. And the reason why... So many people said they could have been saved if they had time to escape. Had a siren gone off, 
they would have known that there was a crisis emerging. And as we know, so many bodies were found in the ground. As do you want, the him, do you want him to give you the answer? Or do do. You want okay, so now you got the guy that's standing behind him. And, and yeah, the reporter's pontificating and, and grandstanding a little bit, but he's bringing up some pretty valid points. You know, we got people who said that they, they would have gotten out if they heard the alarms. You didn't sound them, and you just heard you just heard what he said. Do you regret not sounding the alarms? No. No, I don't regret that. Now, he'll give his explanation here in a minute, which, for the record, is plausible until you factor in a couple of other things that we'll get to in a minute. But then you got this other official behind him who comes up and is like, you want him to answer or what? And just listen to the listen to the disdain in this other official's voice as he's talking to this reporter. Let him finish his I'm answer. Sorry, there's a lot of people. Well, you're talking and you're not letting him talk. If you want to talk, come up here. I'm ready for the answer. Then wait. The sirens, as I had mentioned earlier, is used primarily for tsunamis, and that's the reason why. Many of them are found, almost all of them are found, on the coastline. The public is trained to seek higher ground in the event that the siren is sounded. In fact, on the website of the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, the firing guideline is provided. If you are in a low-lying area near the coastline, evacuate to high grounds, inland or vertically to the fourth floor and higher of a concrete building. Alerts may also come in the form of a wireless emergency alert. Had we sounded the siren that night, we're afraid that people would have gone Malka. And if that was the case, then they would have gone into the fire. And so that is the reason why our protocol has been to use WEA and EAS. By the okay, so his, his reasoning here is the alarms are primarily, and he did put a qualifier in there, and that's important. The alarms are primarily used for tsunami warnings, which is why they're on the coast. And if we sounded those alarms, we were worried that people were going to, to assume that a tsunami was coming. They were going to run into the fire. Okay. It sounds plausible. Right? It sounds plausible. And we would probably believe that for anybody outside of... First of all, Hawaiians are saying that this is bullcrap. There's a reason that Hawaiians said, why didn't you sound the alarms? For a fire instead of saying wow we should probably have something to warn us for all of this the hawaiian people the people who are there in lahaina and the surrounding areas they're the ones saying why didn't you sound the alarms because the alarms aren't just for typhoons or not typhoons but tsunamis they're not just for tsunamis they're an all-purpose alarm system to warn the public of all dangers and it is followed up with an alert that goes to your text message in your phone, with an alert that goes to your television, with an alert that goes to all of your cable channels. So if you heard those sirens and you ran into the fire, we're assuming a couple of things. One, that you couldn't see the fire or the smoke or anything else, and depending on the time, that may be the case, I guess. But the other thing is, we're assuming that you don't look at your television, you don't turn on your radio, and you don't look at your phone. Because that's where the, the alerts come through. And had we not had the ballistic missile 
mishap that happened a little while ago, we all probably wouldn't know this. So Tony Kennett, our friend from Indianapolis, uh, remember when the media lost their minds over Hawaiians receiving a fake ballistic missile EAS alert? It's incredibly simple to activate the EAS system, which not only pushes to air uh, pushes to air raid storm sirens, but to all cable and local televisions and smartphones. The officials in Maui didn't do that, folks. That's the real problem. The people in Lahaina and the surrounding areas are saying that they didn't get any alerts, that there was nothing. You know, maybe you hear the sirens and you go, oh, crap, let me grab my phone. Because like we do with the tornado siren. The tornado sirens go off, you grab our phone, okay, what's going on? They would do the same thing. They weren't given the opportunity to. I suppose we could talk about Joe Biden not talking about this for five days also, but that's par for the course of the Biden administration. Anytime something bad happens, they don't talk about it for at least a week after they finally get shamed into doing it. We also think that we know what caused these things. There's a good chance that we have an idea of what actually caused the wildfires and Surprise, surprise, as we've seen in other cases like this, it ends up being the electric company. We'll talk about that coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, and the all-new MNC Nation. sure it's the most appropriate song for what we're talking about, Amelia. As she says, it's random. It is. It really and, is. but, you know, because, I, I mean, we are talking about the Hawaiian officials essentially sabotaging the poor people of Maui. It's a great, <laughs> great tune, though. Sabotaged by the Beastie Boys. I know what it now, here's, here's the other thing. The excuse from the, the Hawaiian officials on why the EAS alerts were not received was that the towers were damaged by the fire. But if they had set off the alarms, then people would have received the EAS alert sooner before the fire damaged the towers for reception issues. That's that's what people are really, really upset about. Let's Can we just not mince words here? I mean, this is basically Hurricane Katrina 2.0. We are dealing with a situation that was preventable. And more people died than were necessary because of government ineptness. Ray Nagin parking all of the buses and the school buses and everything else that could have been used to ferry people out of the city when they knew that that the levees were going to break and parking them in that parking lot and refusing to let people use the buses led to all of those people drowning. It was government ineptness here. A failure to, to tend the land properly because of Climate change, a failure to mount the proper alert system, mismanagement of the electrical grid, again, climate change stuff. So here's here's what we got. Um, by the way, CBS News, uh, even Nora O'Donnell, 
CBS News has learned that Maui's emergency operations chief, who's the one that just said, I don't regret not sounding the alarms, has no background in disaster response. It's his department that was responsible for setting off warning sirens, which rang silent during the fires. That's Nora O'Donnell. That's not me. That's CBS News. So now we've got footage that seems to show the first fire. And it appears to be because of a downed electrical line. We go to townhall.com. They've picked up a bunch of these. By the way, I want to thank a listener for this particular link. A dramatic newly released video showed the moment a downed power line in Maui may have played a part in sparking the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than a century. Shane True, 49 years old, filmed flames coming from a wooden power pole that snapped under high winds early August 5th or excuse me, August 8th, just hours before the wildfire that has killed more than 100 people was confirmed as taking hold in now devastated Lahaina. I heard buzz, buzz. It was almost like somebody lit a firework. You ever heard one of those things go off? That's pretty much what it sounds like. It's a big old explosion and uh, zapping. I just ran straight up the hill to a bigger pile of grass, and then with the high wind, that fire was blazing. In a matter of minutes, the whole place was just engulfed. He filmed three Facebook Live videos from about 6.40 a.m., starting with him trying to battle the blaze with a hose and then warning uh, arriving emergency services about the live power lines on the road. In the days after the initial blaze, a class action lawsuit was filed against Hawaiian Electric Company, accusing it of failing to turn off the area's power despite high wind uh, warnings and a number of toppling poles. There is credible evidence captured on video that at least one of the power line ignition sources occurred when trees fell into a Hawaiian electric power line. Now, again, I don't live in Hawaii. I've only been there one time. I don't know how they manage their power or anything else. But, you know, people could be Monday night quarterbacking this and going, hey, you should have turned the power off because we got, you know, 80 mile per hour winds. I don't know if that's standard operating procedure. I haven't read enough to to figure out if it is. But I do know that in other places where you do have hurricanes and things like that, they do cut the power. And they let residents know that they're going to cut the power because it's inevitable that trees are going to fall into power lines. And the last thing that they need to deal with is, you know, live power lines and water and, and, of course, flames. So my assumption is, but this is just a guess, please don't take this to the bank, my assumption is, is that what people are saying on the ground that they should have cut the power is probably justified, but they didn't. Now, what does Hawaiian Electric generally do? Well, they generally focus on, you know, green environmental type stuff. A number of Democrats and other leftists have blamed the deadly wildfires in Hawaii on a specter of anthropogenic climate change, which, of course, is nonsense. Like the Biden administration, Hawaii's governor, Josh Green, Democrat, and both the state's 88% Democratic House and 92% Democratic State Senate are ostensibly keen to lead the globe on clean energy and climate issues. They're very, they're very, very blue in Hawaii. There's no doubt about that. And they are big in preserving the environment, which is good, but they think that preserving the environment and climate change battles are the same thing, and they're not. It appears that the efforts by Hawaii's largest energy provider to follow suit and satisfy a Democrat mandate uh, transitioning to renewable energy took a priority over alternatively pragmatic efforts to maintain its equipment 
and deal with the known and documented threat of fuel buildup in the form of flammable vegetation. So once again, we have another scenario just like we had in in California and other places, Canada, where they didn't manage the land properly because environmentalists didn't want them to or because they were focused on environmental policy instead of doing what wildfire experts have been preaching to do for centuries now, which is to take care of that undergrowth and make sure that there's not too much buildup around uh, areas that could be a a source, really a spark, and then have that vegetation as fuel for the fire. They didn't do it. You know, you start looking at all of this stuff, and it's just, it's consistent. Then... Then there's the lack of water. So we've got a government official not turning on the siren so people weren't warned about the fire. We've got the power company, which is government regulated, doing what government officials wanted them to do, which may very well have led to the fire being as bad as it was or even starting the fire altogether. But then you've got this M. Khalil Manuel. You know about this guy? He's the guy that refused to turn on the water so they could fight the fires. And wait till you hear his reasoning on why he didn't turn on the water. Holy smokes. MNC News Time is 3.31. Time to check out Impressed Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. Window Studios. 40 years and 80,000 families. Trust your home to the B. Casey Hendrickson. Afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. Back to what happened in Hawaii here in just a second. I'm going to tell you about my foot pain that I've been dealing with for years. Uh, many of you have probably heard me talk about it, complain about it, that sort of thing on the live stream at some point in time or on the radio show. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I used to not have any issues with my feet, like most people. And then my arches started falling and just you know years of working on my feet. Ended up wearing away at them, and they started hurting all the time. It could not, I could not go a single day without being in excruciating pain on my feet, constantly having to shift from one foot to the other so that way the pain tolerance was manageable, getting home, kicking my feet off, and then barely being able to walk on the floor without my shoes on. It was awful. I tried everything. I bought expensive shoes. I bought different pairs of shoes. I bought insoles. I did the little uh, the machine at the drugstore that scans your feet and recommends the proper insult. Those didn't work either. Nothing worked beyond a couple of days. I was talking with a coworker here a few weeks back, and she recommended the Good Feet store. Went into the Good Feet store, went ahead, did the they did the whole setup where they they measure your feet. They it's it's not quite a scan. It's not the right way of putting it. They make sure that they get the right size. Uh, inserts for you. They bring several out. They they do some fitments of it. Make sure that they fit your feet, and they fit each one. They don't just do it for. There's not like one pair for both of your feet. They make sure that the insert that goes in your right shoe fits your right foot, and the same for the left side. And then you walk around in it, and you see how you feel. And it was for me at least, it was instantaneous relief. And I'm not going to promise that to everybody else because everybody's feet are different. For me, it was instantaneous relief. And I now st- I stand on concrete the first half of my day, and it's not comfortable. I can do that all day now. It was a major problem beforehand, and my feet were always in a lot of pain. 
by the time I got into the studio. The Good Feet store has done an amazing job for my feet. I don't have that pain nearly as much as I used to anymore. I have the stamina to still go play with the kids when I get home. I don't have to constantly put my feet into the foot massager just to get some relief. Good Feet store has been it's been a godsend. I don't know how else to say it. If you have foot pain, you need to go see the folks at the Good Feet store. They're located in University Crossing Shopping Center in Mishawaka. That's on University Drive in Granger. And you can also give them a call at 574-544-2375. Let them know that I sent you. And again, go to the Good Feet store in Mishawaka. And you got nothing to lose but your pain. All right, we got to get back to this Hawaii situation. I'm going to play for you an audio clip, and it's not going to make a lot of sense, but I need to play this so you understand that what I'm about to tell you is not, not crazy, because it sounds crazy. It sounds insane. But before we get into the insane part, I just want to remind everybody that I play a video on a regular basis, a piece of audio for you, on this show with tree-hugging hippies that go into the forest and they cry with drums over trees. And we're kind of, somehow Amelia has not been here for any of those episodes. We'll have to play it for her. She's like, what? This guy appears to be one of those types. But M. Khalil Manuel is the government official who refused to release water in Maui. So that they didn't have any water to fight the fire with. Okay, I... Again, I'm, I'm with a lot of you. Like, we, you're surrounded by the ocean. What's the backup plan there? I, I don't know. But this guy didn't release the water. He was asked about that. This is how he responded to this. Just listen, just listen to this. Okay, it doesn't make any sense, but you have to listen to it. The commission is responsible per, per our authorizing statute to protect and manage all water resources in the state. One water is like taking it and looking at it from a holistic system perspective. And that's not... Dif- any different than how Hawaiians traditionally manage water. You know, in, in essence, we treated it, and Native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthly manifestations of a god and a kua, kane. And so that reverence um, for a resource and that reciprocity in relationship was was something that was really, really important to our worldview and, and well-being, right? And living in an island in, isolated from other, you know, civilizations, um, and so I think where it shifted to today or over time is that we've become used to looking at water as like something which we use and not necessarily something w- that we revere as that thing that gives us life. Right. I mean, to me, it's a shift in value set. Um, and you know, if we can start to really look at how we as humans in an island, um, can reconnect to that traditional value set. So really my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like we we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. So water is to be worshiped and not used, particularly people are burning to death. Like I said, it doesn't make any sense. And if I had told you that he said this stuff, many of you would not have believed me. It's just, it's it's bizarre, to say the least. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I, <laughs> I, I, don't, know what to, I don't know what to tell you. Um, 
A Hawaiian state official pushing a radical climate alarmist agenda is coming under heavy criticism for refusing to release water to fight the massively destructive wildfires that ravaged Maui and have reached a grim death toll of 111, which again is certain to climb. M. Kaleo Manuel, a Native Hawaiian cultural practitioner and deputy director for state water resource management, initially balked at a desperate plea from landowners who are requesting additional water to help protect their property from fires. And that's according to the Honolulu Civil Beat. The water standoff played out over much of the day, and the water did not come until too late. According to several sources that the Civil Beat said had knowledge of the plight, Manuel wanted West Maui land to get permission from Taro or Kalo, a farm located uh, downstream from the company's property. Manuel even eventually released the water, but not until after the fire had spread. It was only, it was, excuse me, it was not clear on Monday how much damage the fire did in the interim or whether homes were damaged. One thing that people need to understand, especially those from far away, is that there's been a great deal of water conflict in Maui, on Maui, for many years. That's Governor Josh Green. He said this at a press briefing earlier this week. It's important that we're honest about this. People have been fighting against the release of water to fight fires. I'll leave that to you to explore. Okay, people are getting burned. Release the water. At some point, somebody's got to step up and be a leader and say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to err on the side of saving people's lives here. That's what I'm going to do. Manuel can be counted among the frontline climate cultists who professes that water requires true conversations about equity. That's a direct quote. Manuel explained in a video that his department's charge was to manage all water resources in the state through a holistic perspective that included viewing water as an ancient god. I'm not, I'm not here to rip on anybody's religious beliefs, but not sure that that's an explanation for not releasing water so people can fight fires that are killing people. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy said, there's a dark but hard truth to the Maui catastrophe that has led to over 110 tragic deaths. As wildfires rage, desperate residents petition state officials to send more water for firefighting and to help protect their properties from the fire. That request went unanswered. Did. Uh, withholding critical aid to Islanders. Now, we're learning that the official who delayed the approval is an Obama, Obama Foundation Asia-Pacific leader and a climate activist who believes that water should be revered first and foremost. He goes on to talk about DEI and that sort of stuff. But if you don't think that climate has something to do with this, by the way, I, for the record, I think that a lot of you are posting right now in the live stream on Rumble. Mentioning the the possibility and the likelihood that this was a maybe a planned burn or that there was a scenario that if a fire had happened in certain areas that you would let the land burn and you know maybe convert this over into a new smart city and look at all the real estate investors that are pouncing here. I mean, they're talking what's the what's the defense for the real estate investors that are now pouncing trying to buy land for pennies on the dollar in Maui right now? Have you heard? The state of Hawaii is is thinking about taking over all of the land, using an emergency order to take over all of the land to prevent people from selling the land 
to real estate developers, and then the state will have complete control of the land. It won't be private land anymore. So whether or not it was a plan or whether or not it is a, uh, we'll call it an opportunistic approach, never let a good crisis go to waste, I don't know. But they will use this to their advantage for whatever WEF sort of an idea they have in the future. There's no doubt about that. But to give you further examples here of how this climate nonsense is a part of it, ABC News actually changed the headline of one of their stories because climate alarmists were harassing them about it. You see, originally, originally they said climate change, why climate change can't be blamed on the Maui wildfires or blamed for the Maui wildfires. And then they changed it to entirely blamed. So originally is why climate change can't be blamed for the Maui wildfires. That's the accurate headline. And then after they were harassed by the climate lobby, they changed it to why climate change can't be blamed entirely for the Maui wildfires. It's climate change has nothing to do with it. Just like climate change didn't have anything to do with what happened in Canada. And climate change didn't have anything to do with what happened with the wildfires in California. And climate change didn't have anything to do with what happened in the Amazon rainforest in South America. But they changed it anyway to appease the cult. It's, it's sad, but we, again, everything comes back to reducing the population. I wish I wish we I'm not even saying that this is intentional and that the loss of life was something that they wanted. I'm not saying that at all. But it seems like every single policy that these radicals have, the byproduct of it is death. Every single policy that they have. And then they never change those policies. Somebody gets shot and they want to change all of the policies on firearms. Their policies lead to the deaths of thousands and untold numbers of people all over the world. And it's, well, those policies are still the best thing because those lives, I've actually watched people make this argument on cable television. I've watched them make that argument in articles that they've written in on social media. Climate alarmists have made this argument. People go, hey, look, this policy has led to thousands of people dying. Well, those thousands of people dying is better than the millions of people that would die if we, didn't, if we did it the way that you wanted to, capitalist pig. I've actually seen them make that argument. Every, every, everything comes back to population control. Like, everything. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. Podcasts by Federated Media.